If you would please turn your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 5. Lamentations 5 is our text this morning. Uh, We've been in the book of Lamentations for several weeks now. Uh, You've been very patient with a series that admittedly is not the easiest thing in the world to listen to. Uh, I know if you've come to church with joy in your heart the last few weeks, I can kill that pretty quickly. Uh, It's a gift, really. But I wanted us to take a few weeks to do this series because I think that it's important. I think it matters how we deal with our grief and our pain and our suffering uh, because those things are parts of life, right? All of us will go through periods in our life where we have grief and pain and suffering. And I think what God wants more than anything is that when we go through those periods of life for us to grieve with God. God never intended for us to suffer alone. He always wanted us to bring our griefs and grieve with God. I think lament is an important component of our spiritual life, and I think most of us need to grow in how we use it. Okay, I want us to be the kind of people that don't just pretend that everything's okay, that don't just shake hands and say, oh, I'm fine, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I don't want us to just pretend that everything's fine. I want us to actually deal with our pain so that we don't have to carry around our baggage for all of our lives. I think part of that includes having to learn how to lament. One of the things I love about this congregation is that this is a church where we can be real. I don't think anyone's ever accused us of being a church full of perfect people, right? Is that, is that fair? Get to know us for all, uh, all of five minutes and you'll realize, right? This is not, not a perfect church, but this is a church where we can be real with each other because that's life. Okay, so we've talked about a lot of things as we've gone through this series. Now we're at the conclusion and I wonder how do you possibly pull all of this together? How do we close a series on a book like Lamentations in a way that's helpful to us as we confront the pain in our lives? So I want you to notice how this book ends. Very intentionally, I did not create slides uh, for this last chapter of the book because this is poetry. I just want you to hear it. Okay, so if you've got your Bible open, you can follow along. Otherwise, if you would, just close your eyes for a second and hear how this book ends. It says, remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We've become fatherless. Our mothers are widows. We must buy the water we drink. Our wood can be had only at a price. Those who pursue us are at our heels. We are weary and find no rest. We submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our ancestors sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment. Slaves rule over us, and there is no one to free us from their hands. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the desert. Our skin is hot as an oven, feverish from hunger. Women have been violated in Zion and virgins in the towns of Judah. Priests have been hung up by their hands. Elders are shown no respect. Young men toil at the millstones. Boys stagger under loads of wood. The elders are gone from the city gate. The young men have stopped their music. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. 
Because of this, our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, with jackals prowling over it. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. The word of the Lord. Back in 1944, there was a young Polish man named Simon Weisenthal. He was a prisoner of the Nazis. His only crime was being Jewish. Earlier, he had witnessed Nazi soldiers kill his family. He'd lost over 80 relatives to the Nazis. And because of all of his misery and suffering, he tried to commit suicide rather than be captured and put to work or killed by the Nazis. But the Nazis wouldn't let him. He was young and strong. And they put him to work as a janitor at a hospital for German casualties. One day as Simon was cleaning up at the hospital, a nurse came and and got him and said, You're Jewish. I see the star on your clothing. She said, Follow me. And she took Simon to the back room of a hospital where there was a soldier lying on the bed completely covered from head to toe in bandages. His head was completely wrapped in bandages. All you could see were the holes cut out for the man's eyes and holes for him to breathe through. The injured man was an SS officer named Carl, who as he was dying had sent this nurse to go find a Jew to talk to. Carl told Simon his story of how when he was a young man he'd lost his Catholic faith when he joined the Hitler Youth. Later as he grew out of that he joined the SS where he served for several years with distinction. In service to the fatherland, he had committed numerous atrocities. But here was the worst. While going through the Ukraine in a town, Carl's SS unit rounded up 300 Jews, herded them into a three-story house, doused it with gasoline, and then set it on fire. While the house burned, Carl and all of his men stood in a circle around the house, listening to what was going on, watching what was going on, and all of them had their rifles at the ready, shooting anyone who tried to escape the fire. All 300 Jews died, men, women, and numerous children. Carl said that ever since that night, one child's face in particular haunted him. There was one little boy that every time he closed his eyes, he could see his dark hair and his dark eyes looking at him. Carl was racked with guilt for his crimes, and he begged Simon. He said, you're the only Jew I can talk to right now. Please, before I die, forgive me. Simon didn't know what to do. He stood in the room for a few minutes as Carl waited in silence for what this prisoner, what this janitor would say. Simon didn't know what to do. He struggled with it for a few minutes. Finally, without saying a word, he turned and left. He never spoke words of forgiveness. Okay, this is not a sermon on forgiveness. 
Uh, so we can leave aside for a moment the question of whether he should have forgiven him or not. Okay, the reason I tell you this story, and the reason I'm interested in this particular story, is because Carl, the German SS officer, uh, was suffering. Okay, his pain was suffering of his own making. He was at fault, right? He had brought this sorrow upon himself in his own life. But at the end of his life, he wanted more than anything else a night a nice, neat resolution to the pain. He wanted someone to speak a few words that could put a bow on it and allow him to die in peace. Okay, in later writings, Simon said that part of the reason he could not speak words of forgiveness is because in that moment, the pain of the Holocaust was all too real and it was much too important to be so easily dismissed. He didn't feel right to forgive this man and therefore cheapen the pain of so many people. Okay, here's my point. Real pain, real suffering cannot be neatly ignored. It cannot be swept under the rug. It can't be pushed through. You can't just put a bow on it. You have to confront it. Okay, so how do we do that? How do we do that with pain that's real? Okay, I want you to notice in our text, our Lamentations chapter 5, the very end of the book, it does not end with words of great confidence. Okay, there is no line at the very end that says, God, you're so great and wonderful and we're turning to praise now because we have such great faith in you that you're going to make everything better. Okay, that's not how the book ends. No, the book ends with the possibility that we may never get through our pain. It ends with the idea that we're not sure what the future holds, and in some sense, that has to be okay. Right? Notice again the final lines of the book. He says, Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Okay? That is not confidence of a glorious turnaround. Right? That is not confidence that we're going back to the mountaintop once we get through this valley. No, that is resignation that this pain may endure. Alright, if you're taking notes, here's the first thing I want you to write down. Here's the first thing I think we should learn, really from this book as a whole, for our own laments. Okay, and that is number one, don't put a bow on it. Confront it. Okay, does it make sense when I say that? Don't put a bow on it. Right. I know it's been on TV forever and that we're pretty late to the party, but recently Rachel and I started watching the show NCIS. Anyone watch that show? It's a good show, right? I like that show. Um, it's, it's always got a, a murder or some other big crime that happens, and the show is all about how the NCIS team has to solve it. And they've got all the cool agents and all the really cool gadgets and forensics. Okay, and how long in each episode does it take for them to solve the crime? 42 minutes, give or take a minute, right? Every episode, they solve it in that nice, neat window. Every episode has a nice plot arc that brings you to a satisfying resolution all in under an hour. And I am absolutely certain that what you and I want is for the pain and the trauma that happens in our lives to follow that same script, right? For instance, I would like to deal with all my pain one problem at a time. One case at a time, one painful situation at a time, and then after I resolve that painful situation, then I'm ready to handle the next one. 
Okay? None of this the way life happens where you get multiple painful situations and they're all in different stages of resolution or no resolution and you keep getting stuff that's thrown at you, right? Okay, also, we want our pain and to encounter a clear solution. Okay, I want a definite end to my problems. Here's my problem, here's the solution, next problem. Okay, I want it to be neat and clean. Okay, I also want my pain to pass relatively quickly. I think that 40-minute length is about right. Okay? You can endure anything for less than an hour. I also want to be able to completely forget it. I'd love to be able to resolve life's difficulties and put them in my rearview mirror and never have to think about them again. I want a primetime drama episode-length experience with pain and suffering. That would be great. We want nice, neat resolutions to all our pain, but how often in your life has it worked like that? Okay, and Scripture acknowledges that that is not reflective of reality. We have multiple dramas going on at a time. Sometimes the pain doesn't get a good resolution. It is certainly not over in 40 minutes. Okay, so here's what I'm getting at this morning. Okay, I think that if the book of Lamentations did have a happy ending, If it did say, oh, well, you know, this exile is terrible, but we're all going to be happy and rejoice because God is so good. I think if it ended like that, we wouldn't like it. I think it would cheapen the suffering, and this book will not cheapen the pain of God's people. I think the fact that Lamentations is in our Bibles, that God included this in the book and said this is an important component in the Word of God is showing us that God takes our suffering seriously. All right, here's the second most important thing I'm going to say this morning. All right, I'll get to the most important thing in a little bit. This is number two on my list. Okay, second most important thing. That is that Christianity is not about cheapening your suffering either by dismissing it, claiming it's irrelevant, or providing an easy solution to it. I think Christianity, more than any other worldview or religion, takes suffering seriously. In fact, the miracle of Christianity is that God takes our suffering so seriously that He sent Jesus to bear our sorrows for us. Again, just sticking in the Old Testament, one of the titles for Jesus that you read about is the man of sorrows. And notice Isaiah 53. This is verse 4 and 5. It says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Okay, this is not dismissing our suffering. This is not putting a bow on it. This is God meeting it head on. You know, one of my best friends in Texas uh, started life as a youth minister, but then he decided to grow up and become a physical therapist. Okay, so now that's what he does for a living. Uh, And he says... That when someone goes through something like a knee replacement or any other number of physical or traumatic experiences, the speed of that person's recovery is largely a matter of how willing they are to embrace their pain. Okay, If you blow out your knee and you get a new knee put in, 
The speed at which your knee will recover is largely dependent upon how vigorously you're willing to do the exercises your doctor tells you to do. You actually have to get up and put weight on it and bend it a bunch of times. Embrace that pain. Let your leg feel pain. If instead you just baby it and don't ever put any weight on it and don't do anything to it, it will never recover. You want to confront your pain and recover or do you want to avoid it at all costs and let it persist? Okay, I think the degree to which you will embrace the pain is the degree to which you will achieve recovery. Okay, I think that's true for our emotional and spiritual pain as well. Are we willing to confront our pain instead of put a bow on it? All right, so if we decide that we're not going to put a bow on it, if we decide that we're okay with not having a nice, clean resolution, then what are we going to do with this? How do we actually do that? All right, and here now is the most important thing I'm going to say this morning. All right, I told you number two earlier. Here's the most important point, okay? And that is remember that God reigns, all right? Notice 519. He says, you, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. And that line, as you read Lamentations number 5, sounds really out of place. Okay, because it's, I've got all this pain. God, you may forget me forever. And yet that line in the middle there is, but God, I recognize that you reign forever. All right, about a week or so ago, uh, Samuel, my youngest, who's about to turn four next month, got very frustrated with his mother and finally said, Mommy, you are not listening to me at all, and you are not obeying me. A few days later, I was watching television, and Sam came up and took the remote out of my hand and said, Daddy, you've been watching this long enough, and it is time for us to turn this off. Any of you ever have three-year-old that acted that, that way? All your kids were perfect? Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, we often get confused about who's in charge. I know my three-year-old gets confused, but aren't you glad, though, that as adults we grow out of that and we recognize who's really in charge? Or do sometimes we act like three-year-olds? Okay? Often in life we go around thinking that we're in charge. Okay, really, we need to remember that it's God that is in charge. Now, okay, this is much more than simply saying, okay, I know God's in control, so everything's going to be okay. okay. This is much deeper and more profound than that. This strikes directly at how we see ourselves and how we see the world around us. This is an issue of identity. Now, whoever wrote Lamentation number 5 lived through the destruction of Jerusalem and watched it. He endured the pain. He endured suffering on a scale that most of us can't begin to imagine. Right? I do not know the level of sorrow that you have experienced in your life, but you've probably never had to witness women being raped in the streets and children getting eaten by their parents. Okay? This author's suffering wasn't fair. It wasn't in any way okay. It wasn't his fault. But now, as he's dealing with the pain, he has a choice to make. How is he going to, after having lived through all that pain, how is he going to see himself? How is he going to see his identity and understand who he is? How will he look at himself and his own life? What is his identity? Is he a victim 
or a child of God. Okay, The author of this lament has to make a choice. Is he going to see himself from now on as a victim of the destruction or as a child of God? I think that in this lament, by saying that God reigns, and by defining his life based on the presence of God, by taking this pain to God in lament, he is claiming his identity is in God and not in his circumstances, and that makes all the difference. Okay, here's why this is important for us. Again, I don't know all the pain in your life. I don't know all the suffering that you've had to endure. But what I do know is that your reality is not defined by your pain and your suffering. If you choose it. Okay? Your identity is not your pain. Your identity is not something that happened to you in the past. Your identity is that you are a loved child of God. Hey, this is not just get over it. This is not the sun will come out tomorrow. Hey, this is my identity has been recaptured and replaced by something divine. Hey, maybe you've been abused. Maybe you've been mistreated. Maybe life hasn't been fair to you. Maybe some of it was your fault. Hey, maybe some of it was beyond your control. That's not your identity. Hey, you may have been a victim of life. Hey, that's not your identity. All of the pain is worth lament, but that is not your identity. You have a choice to make each and every day as you get up and look in the mirror. How do you see yourself? How do you see the world around you? Are you a victim of your pain or are you a loved child of God? Because when you look at yourself, you can't be both of these things. Okay, and if you're stuck in your pain, and if you think of yourself as a victim, then you will never be able to grab hold of the future that God has planned for you, because you will always identify more with your pain than you do with the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. Okay, the only way that you can move forward with your life, the only way that you can walk into the things that God has planned for you is if you can look in the mirror and say, I am not my past. I am not my pain. I am a temple of the living God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Every hair on my head is counted by God. The Holy Spirit dwells in me and I am a disciple of Jesus Christ and that is my identity. I think the most important thing I can say this morning is that God reigns. And if that's true, then I can lay my burdens down because someone bigger than my pain gets to define who I am. Does that make sense? All right. I am completely out of time, but here's number three. And that is seek God's presence. Notice that the very last idea of this entire book is a request for God to restore us to His presence. All right, we're going to talk about that more in the future uh, when I've got time to unpack that a little further because I think that's a, a vital point because what does it mean for us to have God's presence be with us? In fact, the reason I end every sermon as I do with the blessing from the book of Numbers uh, is because it's about that exact point, right? What does it mean for us to have the presence of God, to go with the presence of God? All right, at this time in our service, so we're going to sing an invitation song. Uh, during the singing of this song, this is a time when we as a church can be here for you. I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. 
We would love to pray with you or talk with you about anything that's going on in your life. Uh, We'd love to sit down and study the Bible with you. Whatever it is that we as a church can do for you, this song is the time for you to come and let us know about that. Uh, But before we do sing that song, I'd like to close us with that word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace.